0: You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So this week we start our Paracast with a letter that we got from Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Of course, she was the one who appeared with a short interview from the International UFO Conference in Phoenix, and then later on a joint appearance with Phil Ambrogno, the disgraced UFO researcher who turned out to have totally fake credentials. And now we have a letter from Rosemary, who was going to write a new book with him called Multidimensional Portals. And as a result of all this, of course, she can't attach her name to something like that. So she sent us this note that she wanted us to read. It's also posted in our forums at forum.theparacast.com. And here it is. Unaltered, complete message. The second book I was to write with Philip J. Imbrogno, multi-dimensional portal scheduled to be published this December by Llewellyn, has been canceled with the help of my attorney. Imbrogno's portion of the completed manuscript contained outright fabrications and potential copyright violations. In parentheses, she says plagiarism. Whoops, let's go on. Especially pertaining to his science, which is in quotes. I have the rights to my own material back, and I'm pursuing other projects. I have no further association with Phil. End of message. And end of a very sorry episode, don't you think? Boy, I hope so.
2: It's, it's really been a tawdry affair, and I, I really feel for Rosemary. She's such a sweet lady, consummate professional. I learned uh, more than a few things when we did our trip in May to the San Luis Valley. She was absolutely invaluable in the field. She really has just a grace about her that um, I, I really admire, and she is so well-versed in the field, and, and she's just a joy to work with. And I'm just so happy that she's managed to um, extricate herself uh, without any undue harm, I think, to her professionally from this whole Tadri affair. And I, I really think it's, uh, it's really unfortunate that someone like uh, Phil Imbrogno would take advantage of such a such a wonderful light like uh, Rosemary. Uh, you may not agree with some of the subjects that she's written on, or you may have problems with with some of the um, you know the, the width and breadth of her material. But uh, one thing that you can't say is that she's not a stickler for crossing her I's and dotting her t's. And it's really unfortunate when you trust somebody to the extent that she did, you know, trusting on Brogno, and then having having this whole tawdry affair just, you know, <laughs> unfold uh, very dramatically, I think. Uh, it, it's just I'm so happy that she's been able to extricate herself from any contractual
1: obligations that she may have had. So as far as we're concerned over here in the Powercast, Phil Imbrogno does not exist. Let's just drop it. Let's move on to another subject, more pleasant one. There's an article from Kathleen Martin in the current issue of the Mufon Journal, and Kathleen of course has been a friend of the show. She is Betty Hill's niece. So what she says in this article is that on July 20th of this year, the state of New Hampshire erected an historical marker to commemorate the 1961 close encounter that resulted in the abductions by the Hills. And I have a picture of it right here. It simply says Betty and Barney Hill incident, and then there's a paragraph about the case, which I'll read to you because consider this almost an official recognition that something interesting happened because why else would the government erect you know a marker for this certainly it's better than a bridge to nowhere which they spend what 50 billion dollars for it says okay. on the yeah it says on the night of September 19th and 20th 1961 Portsmouth New Hampshire couple Betty and Barney Hill experienced a close encounter with an unidentified flying object and two hours of lost time while driving north on Route 3 near Lincoln. They filed an official Air Force Project Blue Book report of a brightly lit cigar-shaped craft the next day, but were not public with their story until it was leaked in the Boston Traveler in 1965. This was the first widely reported UFO abduction report in the United States. Betty and Barney Hill. So if you go to this particular location next to the highway in front of Cabin 20 at the Indian Head Resort in North Lincoln, New Hampshire, you will see this little monument erected to Barney and Betty Hill. There you go. How fitting. Isn't it, though? I mean, you know, there are issues of concern I've said about the case. And I know I got a really nasty letter from somebody just a couple of weeks ago When I mentioned on the show, in connection with another guest, again, my question about whether the Barney and Betty Hill incident was somehow part of a disinformation effort by the Air Force. They lived there in the military base and everything. And of course, I was attacked for that, saying, of course, it's preposterous, and maybe it is. But I raised the question. But still, so far as I know, Betty Hill was a very sincere person. I met her a couple of times. She seemed like the nicest woman. If you ever wanted a grandmother, Betty Hill would be a great yeah. candidate. Really, she's just a wonderful lady. Well,
2: Eugene, I, I think your observation, uh, you know, it's its not by coincidence that, um, that it happened to somebody that happened to be closely associated with a military base. So you have to leave all your options open, and no. I think – uh, inquiring mind should uh, always keep in mind all the potentials uh, for a case, and the description of uni- military-style uniforms. I think uh, that alone uh, it makes any sort of, uh, you know, guesswork, uh, you know, in terms of trying to figure out what happened to them and who was responsible. I think the the fact that the military uniforms were described does lean, lend some sort of credence to your, you know, what ifing.
1: The thing that also bothers me is that map, the star map. I mean, I think that an advanced civilization, hundreds or thousands of years farther in advance than we are, traveling through the stars would have something more sophisticated than a star map for navigation. It was a put-up job, it was put there for their benefit.
2: Yeah, I, and I agree, plus... You know, a star map is only good based on your position in space. So um, I, I've never really lent much credence to that. Of course, the location that was featured on that map, of course, was Zeta Reticuli. And that's where I think the meme of the <laughs> Zeta Reticulin aliens, I think, really originated.
1: Yeah. You know, before then, I think we were talking about Mars. Really? Remember back... If you read of books of the 1950s about UFOs, Major Keough and others, they talked about Mars, you know. Of course, they gave up on Venus when we found out it was a hothouse there. But Mars, you know, although, you know, even with all the mysteries of Mars, at the very least, I guess it's possible that thousands of years ago, millions of years ago, they had a civilization, and when the atmosphere thinned out, they went elsewhere. Maybe we are the Martians, Think about that.
3: Yeah.
2: I've always said, you know, when people ask me, do, so you believe in aliens, or they tell me you believe in aliens, I always say, well, I think we're the aliens. I think whatever's flying around
1: here is probably more terrestrial than we are. Hmm. There you go. Well, right now we're going to explore a phenomenon that we haven't touched too many times on the Paracast, and it's about cryptozoology and Bigfoot. All right. And I don't know whether, if they're real, they would be denizens of our planet or aliens. We've got a couple of longtime researchers from the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, Dave Dragason and Eric Altman. And if I pronounce his name wrong, I'll apologize and fix it later. I do that sometimes. I mean, I can say Christopher O'Brien because, you know, I know who he is, I think. But you know, up till now, like I said, we haven't covered the subject as much as we should. A lot of people suggest that maybe we focus too much on UFOs on the PowerCast, And I don't know. We do cover other things. We're going to explore UFOs next week with, of course, a gentleman from Brazil to cover South American UFO sightings. But we've got a lot of other interesting things in the makings. So it's going to be Bigfoot, cryptozoology, and the paranormal. Coming up next on... The Paracast. I've got to tell you about this. GoToMeeting by Citrix, the way I meet online with my colleagues, has just added high-definition group video conferencing. It's called GoToMeeting with HD Faces. Now you can collaborate with anyone around the world face-to-face. And I've used GoToMeeting HD Faces because it's awesome. You see the facial expressions, and that can express so much more than words. Of course, the video quality is so clear and natural, it's got the highest resolution in the industry. Nothing compares. meeting. Meeting with HD Faces will make your online meetings even more personal, engaging, and effective. Plus, it's so easy to use. All you need is an internet connection and a webcam. I want you to try GoToMeeting with HD Faces. My listeners can try it free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com. Click the Try It Free button. Use the promo code PODCAST. The promo code is PODCAST at GoToMeeting.com.
4: Hi, Jason Lewis here. Anybody who's been listening to my program knows how shaky the U.S. economy is right now. Will we have a V-shaped recovery or will it be a W-shaped one where the nation slips back into recession? Of course, if you think that Washington can spend or inflate its way out of a downturn, you've got nothing to worry about. But as you know, I have my doubts. So let me tell you about gold. Now, as my friend Ted Anderson from Midas Resources likes to say, gold, like all commodity markets, fluctuates in price, and you could lose money. But it has never been worth zero. Give it some thought, and if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but has since lost 90% of its value. And if things don't change, I'm afraid the trend will continue. Call Minus Resources today at 1-800-686-2237 for gold and tell them Jason Lewis sent you.
5: Still ready to save? Then you're ready for the fall super sale at HerbalHealer.com. HerbalHealer.com has been the leader in quality natural supplements since 1988. Log on to HerbalHealer.com and take advantage of incredible fall savings on all sale products running through October 18th. HerbalHealer.com is proud to offer eFoods global products, premium storable foods that are delicious, contain no MSG, no trans fats, no GMO, and have a 25-year shelf life. All you do with Just Add Water. To learn more, click the eFoods link on HerbalHealer.com, and you can try eFood storable meals for free. And don't forget to click the specials link for even more savings at HerbalHealer.com. Be sure to sign up for our free newsletter, and as always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. HerbalHealer.com, healing the world with nature, one person at a time. Hurry, sale ends October 18th.
3: Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to GarlicHealthProducts.com. That's 1-877-888. Or go to GarlicHealthProducts.com for your Alley today.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com.
1: Or check us out at iTunes. On the Paracast this week, Dave Dragison and Eric Altman, and they're both longtime paranormal investigators both associated with the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. And as some of our listeners know, I lived in Pennsylvania a long, long time ago in the galaxy far, far away, actually, in eastern Pennsylvania, not in the part where they are. So I didn't see anything strange except for, you know, some of the people down the street. Or maybe they thought I was strange. But I'll let either you, Dave, or you, Eric, answer the first question, which is, we have a lot of listeners out there who haven't really studied much on, say, Bigfoot, even though they've seen movies and occasional reality shows. So whoever wants to do this answer, explain what we mean by a Bigfoot. What kind of creature are we always referring to? David, do you want to take
5: Take that? Go ahead, Eric.
6: (laughs) Okay. Um, What Bigfoot is is really a mystery. There's a lot of speculation out there about what the creature is, where it comes from, Uh, if it's a descendant of a primate. Uh, So we really can't answer what a Bigfoot truly is. However, there's a a really good description that we are able to um, put together and piece together based on witness uh, testimony. And that is, it's a bipedal animal, whether it's a human or a a primate, we don't know. But it's a bipedal animal that walks on two legs, usually covered full body in in either um, dark brown, black, uh, gray, or even white colored hair. Some cases report the creature looks like a human has a a lot of human like features, especially in the face, and other cases report it looking more like a, a gorilla the creature 's size is usually about five foot to uh, we 've heard cases even up, up to as high as ten feet in height. And the weight, we don't know what exactly what the weight is, but estimates and, and guesses from witnesses describe this creature as being massive in size. So they guess three to 500, even a thousand pounds in some cases. What exactly the creature is, we don't know, but uh, we got a really good description based on thousands of eyewitness testimony.
1: Now, we've heard it referred to by other names Bigfoot, Abominable Snowman, Yeti, all the same creature? Variants? What? The indigenous tribes
7: of the United States and Canada. All have a, um, uh, co- not a common name, but a name for them in their folklore and uh, uh, mystical um, uh, history. So it is many things to many people.
1: So this is part of the folklore. <laughs> so this is
6: something that's been here for a long, long time. Oh, yes, definitely. This dates back. And there are even cases uh, that people speculate Bigfoot was talked about in the Bible. There are cases about, a, in Genesis, they talk about these giant like people walking a land. And even in uh, the, epic, um, the Epic of Gilgamesh, they talk about that creature. There, there's a lot of references throughout history, and there's even a lot of artwork that show beings that are covered in hair. So they might be references to the creature, but it goes back hundreds if not thousands of years. So the assumption here is that
1: they are indigenous to Earth. It's not something that's coming in here from an anomaly or another dimension or a wormhole or something.
7: No. That's that's tough to say simply because the book is still being written. I think uh, I'm in compliance with many of the uh, uh, scientists today who would probably lean toward it being a uh, a flesh and blood creature. But many people feel because of its supposed mystical qualities that it could be uh, paranormal. But then again, if you want to look at paranormal and try to try to discern what that means maybe we have lost the ability to become normal in a natural sense like they've been able to progress and we've become more uh, attuned to the technological world. So we're kind of like stomping in an area that's uh, a little gray uh, as far as being acceptable in a third-dimensional uh, another-dimensional sense. There is talk about possibly the, the smell that is associated sometimes with Bigfoot. Could be associated sometimes with the the holes that they enter uh, our 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 dimension in and leave, which you know it's there like I say there's no validity to it, just theories.
1: Okay, you mentioned an odor. What kind of odor are we talking about? Take it, Eric.
6: Well, not in all cases, but uh, some cases describes uh, very foul odor associated with the creature. Some examples would be uh, very strong or pungent body odor. Uh, A musky-type smell, a wet dog-type smell, uh, decomposing matter or flesh, fecal uh, matter. There's a wide variety of smells that have been associated with some of these sightings. Not all of these cases have odors with them, but some do. All right, so if we
1: have a race of creatures living around the world, and we only see them occasionally, why can't we get some ironclad evidence that they exist? I mean, there's evidence, obviously, that things are going on. But we can't walk into, you know, the major scientific institutions and say, okay, we have another species here. Let's catalog it and let's figure out what it is.
7: Uh, And and going back, by the way, there is a theory as far as hydrogen sulfide theory is concerned that they may be ingesting and consuming and their ability to appear to disappear comes into play. I can go into that at a a later time in the program. Well,
1: we'll talk about the the characteristics of these creatures. I'm talking about... The fact is, if we have another species on our planet, and i can 't imagine we 've discovered everything what 's the obstacle to discovering what this is all about and getting it catalogued so that conventional mainstream science accepts it
7: a lot has to do with the stealth that they 're capable of and the uh, characteristics of the intricacies of their uh, ability to travel to, uh, to migrate and live in in groups uh, to to date in very not only remote areas, but uh, sometimes even
1: populated areas. So I take it they're very intelligent? Oh,
6: yes. Oh, yes. That's the general consensus that they're very intelligent creatures. Um, These tales go back hundreds of years, and they've avoided capture. They've avoided man, being killed by man. And we as researchers from the witness testimony believe that they're intelligent enough to a lewd man, and we consider them, uh, as David said, a very stealthy creature. They have this inc- uncanny ability to hide in the woods and uh, to not be photographed, to not be videotaped, to not be captured or, or run over by a car. Or otherwise, we would have had one by now.
7: And all the evidence that they've ever left behind has been very soft. We're talking yeah. uh, handprints, footprints, uh, depressions in the soil, along with uh, po- possible hair samples over the years. But uh, like I say, it's soft, and and of course you know as well as I do, and I'm sure the people out in the in uh, radio land and TV land are aware of the fact that very very few uh, photographs or videos exist, and we don't even want to see that as far as evidence is concerned. What we need is an appendage, uh, a part of a body, or an entire body in order to uh, validate what we feel is uh, a creature that it, that does exist. Uh, Dr. Jane Goodall feels that there is a great North North American ape, three subspecies possibly, so. Uh, I, I kind of go into her corner with regard to the characteristics and the physical uh, c- uh, characteristics of these creatures from British Columbia and Alaska on down through Florida, and how they may change in some of their appearances and their uh, characteristics. And then moving over to Texas, uh, the creature that lives in that uh, neck of the woods, so to speak, also comes up with a, uh, a different uh, physical uh, or physiological uh, appearance. Maybe it's a a switch in the DNA or whatever, but we kind of feel that there could possibly be a number of
8: subspecies. Okay, we'll
1: get into much more of this with Dave Dragason and Eric Altman. We're discovering Bigfoot. You're in the Paracast.
9: The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio.
1: GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Neighbors, do you need to bring the final touches to your latest podcasts? Clean up the soundtrack of that holiday video. Mix together a few takes from your last jamming session. Process the audio files of the video game you're creating to sound just right. But look no further. Whatever audio-related task you're looking to perform, Amadeus Pro is the tool for you. It's the Swiss Army knife of sound editing. Go to hairersoft.com. H-A-I-R-E-R Soft.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online
10: Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives. Increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today.
3: OpticsPlanet.com is where discerning gun owners and outdoorsmen go to gear up. OpticsPlanet has the best selection of rifle scopes, red dots, night vision, holsters, bags,
10: and tactical gear on the planet. With always low prices, free shipping on most orders, and expert
3: customer service. Go to OpticsPlanet.com GCN to get a free gift with purchase. That's OpticsPlanet.com GCN. Or call
10: 800-332-OPTICS. 800-332-6784. We want I know. How do you use Webex? I use Webex anytime I need to meet with clients. With the new Webex high-quality video, it's like meeting face to face.
1: Connect online and share what's on your computer screen with others. Anytime, anywhere, on their desktop, on their laptop or mobile device. How do you use Webex? Go to webex.com right now and try Webex free. Webex from Cisco. W E B E X.com.
10: The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to FreezeDryGuy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month our clubs work with everyone's budget plus when you join freeze dry guy clubs you'll get additional rewards for example this month get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the freeze dry guy product line plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount hurry go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663 that's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663 the freeze dry guy the best you can buy
11: Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you
1: probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? On the Paracast with Gene and Chris, we're discovering Bigfoot and other stuff coming up with Dave Dragason and Eric Altman for the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. They've been... Studying these things for many years, we're trying to figure out why they seem to be so darned elusive, and how do we nail it down? Now, getting to hair samples, and either of you can take this, getting to hair samples, if we had them, we could do DNA testing, I suppose, and figure out that we have a
6: race of creatures here that we haven't cataloged yet. Well, that is true. Um, however, we don't have a species to match the DNA to. So all we can come up with is it's not matchable or identifiable to any categorized or cataloged animal species or, or human-like species that we have on record. So all we're left with is an unknown animal. And until we have something to match it to, we can't positively identify what that hair or where that hair came from.
1: Okay, so we, we can't identify it, but do we even have the hair sample that we could look into? Is there such a thing? Are there hair samples that we could say, well, it's not a conventional animal?
6: Oh, yes. There have been hair that's been collected for years by various researchers. And uh, there's a gentleman, um, Dr. Henner Ferrenbach, He used to work at the Oregon Primate Institute. He's now retired. He would get hair samples from various researchers around the country. They would submit these to him, and he'd do microscopic tests on them. And back back then, we really didn't have DNA as an option to work with when he was doing this. But he would be able to look at the structure of the hair, and match it with known species of animals that he had cataloged and categorized. And he ruled out a lot of those species with, with, I believe it was 12 or 13 strands of hair that was sent to him, and he felt those were authentic, legitimate Sasquatch hair. Now, he couldn't prove it because he didn't have a a specimen or uh, part of a body to match it to, but he felt because they didn't match a known animal, and they were very close to some animals such as primates or even uh, like uh, a hominid, he felt that they were a Bigfoot hare. So, yes, hair has been collected over the years, and, and most of it has been categorized as either unknown or unspecified creature. Okay, another question
1: about this. We assume they don't live forever and that at some point they might die. Do we assume their civilization or their culture or whatever they are, is advanced enough to bury their dead, so we don't ever see that
7: not a fact, but it's kind of like an assumption in many cases, along with the fact that if uh, you're at all familiar with how uh, a corpse in nature can deteriorate and go to nothingness, you' realize that that can happen quite quite quickly depending upon the uh, atmospheric conditions and the you know particular area where a body or a corpse is uh, going to lie and be subject to the various uh, insects and creatures that would scavenge it. Uh, so it's going to be gone quickly. I've never, I've hunted all my life. I've never seen a, a full body of a, a bear or a, a white-tailed deer in the woods. Usually it's uh, maybe a remnant here or a remnant there, but I, I, I kind of feel that that answers the question. We, we, it, the book is still being written as far as uh, its um, its social uh, classes or that may, that may exist between the uh, various groups that, uh, we think exist across the nation or across the uh, across
1: the world. In listening to you for the past few minutes, I get the impression of a creature that's almost a chameleon that seems to blend into its surroundings and maybe change its look. Is that possible?
6: Yeah, I I would say it is, um, simply because we don't know, um, so you can't rule out that realm of possibility. These creatures are usually dark in color, like a dark brown or a black. Even when they're grayish in color, they match very, very closely to the bark on the trees, to their natural habitat. So they could be hiding 10 feet away from you in in thick brush, and you'd never see them. Uh, Chameleon, yeah, I'd call them a chameleon because they're able to blend into their surroundings so much to the point that we don't see them when we go out in the woods. Uh, an encounter is very rare. Do they have that ability to change shapes or change colors? We don't know that. But you it, it can't rule that out of the realm of possibility at this time. Okay, so in general, what's the normal
1: size range? They're always, or mostly, dark hair. Boy, that
7: varies. And I'll go by my forensic sketches. Uh, I've been called upon recently to utilize some other skills in in, uh, in my file cabinet personally. And I've been drawing some. Uh, eyewitness reports, and uh, you're talking matted hair, stringy hair, short hair, uh, dark hair, red hair, gray hair, white face, black face. Uh, I've accumulated enough sketches to realize that what was seen up in British Columbia maybe 13, 14 years ago also has appeared in 2009 here in southwestern Pennsylvania on a mountaintop uh, in the Chestnut Ridge Mountains, and you're talking like a twin brother uh, as far as... uh, Facial characteristics and uh, the physiological makeup of this creature. Um, its it, The hair color and the hair uh, types vary, Gene. They, they really do.
1: Now, in and, and, terms uh, of the noise uh, they make,
6: do they roar at you? Do they speak gibberish? What? Go ahead, Eric. We've heard everything. Um, a lot of the witness testimony talks about them giving off a very high pitch. Female type of scream. Um, primates do that. Uh, gorillas, uh, orangutans, uh, chimpanzees, they all let off some kind of high pitched scream. And it's often been said these creatures do that. But they're also described as giving off low grunts, growls, uh, like a wolf or a bar- barking type noise, um, howls. And they're thought by many researchers to have the uncanny ability to mimic very well other animals, birds. Uh, other creatures in the forest even humans they're thought to owls. be able to mimic yeah, owls so th- they can make a lot of different noises unfortunately i can't say that as a fact because we haven't been able to study them but we've heard some pretty unusual things in the forest okay so how wait, do we say- wait, okay.
2: wait wait a minute i can tell you they sure they they can roar too because my one potential encounter uh, which featured a very sulfuric, sort of musky, like you said, fecal, sort of human sweat and feces type smell, was mm-hmm. accompanied by a roar that I just I would not know how to describe. It was something cross between a bull elephant, uh, an enraged large cat, and maybe a, a locomotive. It's <laughs> the only way I can describe it. it. It was so loud it bounced off the foothills a couple miles away.
7: I oh, was so, to that. I, I could not argue with that because that has been reported, certainly, Chris. Yes.
1: Okay. The obvious question that arises here, are they dangerous creatures? If you see one, will they run away from you or will they run after you? Well,
7: I know they're territorial. And if you pose a threat to them, they're going to warn you ahead of time by some of the primate language. And that would be the tossing of... Um, Articles from the forest floor. It could be the size of uh, acorns to uh, rocks the size of cantaloupes. But they seem to be pretty good uh, throwers uh, as far as missing you. But they're going to warn you. We've had reports of a, um, a situation in the center of Pennsylvania where uh, a primatologist was studying and uh, he had one charge him, but only charged him like a like a uh, silverback would and stopped uh, yards away. Uh, because he had been in this area for a period of, uh, I believe, maybe six, seven years, studying them, eating the uh, uh, the painted turtle eggs in that area, so they were used to his presence. Um, it's uh, it, it's it's uncanny. But, uh, the uh, the 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 danger is is imminent. I would have to say, don't don't get their ire up as far as that's concerned, because he. I've heard I've heard tales where just this past weekend we were at a conference and a gentleman told me that when he was a young boy, uh, and this would be again in the southwestern Pennsylvania area on Laurel Ridge, uh, his grandfather witnessed um, a creature tear apart fifteen dogs in a period of just uh, a matter of minutes as the dogs attacked the creature. This was probably, sheesh, probably forty years ago, but he remembers it uh, indelibly in his mind. So. If it's threatened, it's going to stand its ground and because of its size uh, a huge adult you know being anywhere from seven eight nine ten twelve feet weighing over five hundred pounds, I wouldn't want to mess with it. I wouldn't want to go up against it and i'm uh I'm like two eighty uh one uh, uh i i I just can't see uh anybody threatening it to the point where uh you're going to i don't know not be not be threatened back put it that way.
1: Well, I'll tell you, the (laughs) Eagles' defensive line could sure use a guy like that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into that and the sporting implications. With Dave Dragason and Eric Waltman, Bigfoot's on the table. You're in the Paracast.
9: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
12: Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack!
13: Why is it so many people suffer from so many illnesses today? Why don't doctors know how to help you? Could it be that our doctors don't know how because there's a nutrition solution and they only know about drugs? Over 68 diseases are connected to a deficiency of glutathione. The missing ingredient to increasing your body's production of glutathione is cysteine. Raising your glutathione production protects you from cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. Nature's richest source of cysteine is unheated whey. Heating can damage much of the cysteine. One World Whey is the first undamaged whey protein on the market. Using One World Whey may support optimal glutathione production unlike any other food or supplement you've ever taken. Call 888-988-3325, that's 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. that's OneWorld W-H-E-Y dot com.
14: crossbreedholsters.com.
1: We want to know, how do you use Webex?
6: Last week, I started a meeting on my office computer. I had to go cross town for another meeting. So Mike drove, and I was able to finish my Webex meeting using the Webex app on my smartphone.
11: This is how you do business.
6: Connect
1: online and share what's on your computer screen with others. Anytime, anywhere. On their desktop, on their laptop, or mobile device. Go to Webex.com right now and try Webex free. WebEx from Cisco, webex.com.
11: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
1: For this episode, Chris O'Brien has been using his best Bigfoot-style voice. Is that correct, sir? I haven't even started. I'm just getting warmed up. Okay. As the episode progresses, you notice his voice gets deeper and deeper, and suddenly it's dumb. Anyway... Dave Dragason and Eric Altman joining us. We're talking about Bigfoot. We'll get into other stuff soon. But the question that was raised here, obviously, you don't want to get their hackles up and you don't want to threaten them. Are there any cases on record where they've attacked
6: people or maybe hurt people? There are a couple cases that have been reported and documented. Whether or not they legitimately happened, we don't have factual evidence to say that's true. But these cases are, are older cases from the 1920s and uh, even back in the 1850s. Uh, yes, there are cases in history where these creatures have been reported to have attacked a human or been very aggressive towards humans. We can't document, we can't prove that factually, but there's documentation that's been written down and collected. Most of these reports come from the uh, early 20th century and the late 19th century. Uh, in 1850, Uh, There was a report that was uh, filed by uh, Teddy Roosevelt in his book called The Wilderness Hunter. And there's an interesting story in there about a trapper named Bauman and his partner that went into a pass in Idaho to do some prospecting and trapping. And while they were in this area in the mountains, they were uh, approached by this creature. And uh, it would harass them around their camp. It would uh, walk along the uh, tree line. It even came to the, the mouth of their lean-to one night, and they became so frightened of it, they shot at it. Well, after a few days of this going on, they had enough, and they decided to leave the mountain pass, and they went out to get their traps that next day, and because it was sunny and bright outside, they figured, other oh, creature's not going to come around. They went and collected their traps, and they split up. Um, Bauman's partner said, I'll go back to the camp, clean up the camp, get us ready to go while you collect the rest of the traps. Well, Bauman did that. He collected the rest of the traps, and on returning to the camp, he found his partner with a broken neck and large fang marks in the neck and these huge human-like footprints surrounding the body. Can I say if that story is true and it actually happened? No. It was a tale that was passed on to our former President Roosevelt, but it's one of those documented cases where it was written down. And there's been other cases like this, but they're very, very rare. Okay, so this is something around
2: Mount St. Helens. Uh, is a famous one from the early 20s where a Bigfoot was shot by uh, a miner who was part of a group of of miners in the area. And that night they were attacked by a group of Bigfoot that were throwing, rolling huge boulders down the the hill on them and running full speed into the door.
6: Right, that was uh, Fred Beck and uh, his encounter with with what he called the Hairy Mountain Devils, and it took place in a a mountain pass, Mountain Canyon, that's now known as Ape Canyon, and uh, it's a very famous story. Um, Fred Beck swore it until the day he died. It happened. He wrote a book about it, his battles with the uh, the mountain devils, and that's just another one of those cases, but here in these two cases, and these are probably one of the few rare ones that happen, both... Witnesses or uh, both humans shot at these creatures, therefore invoking them, provoking them, um, and the creature retaliated. It attacked the the uh, the cabin the miners were staying in. It attacked the Bauman's trapping partner and killed him. So there's been cases where they you know been curious and coming around, and for whatever reason the humans. Shot at, or you know, if like you said shot at the one creature, and these creatures retaliated, so I don't think it's a case of them being aggressive or violent. I think it's a case of them being defensive.
2: Well, it sounds like I'd like to get out. There's of been there. some cases, in uh, some Yeti, a uh, very, I think, well-known case in uh... in the Tibet, Nepal area of a yak herder, a girl, who had a Bigfoot come down and ring the neck of uh, one of her yaks in front of her in broad daylight for no apparent reason. So. They can exhibit aggressive behavior but i but I do agree that uh, I think the, uh, those very rare cases where you have real you know head to head conflict let's say um, are as a result of humans uh, taking shots at them or or somehow uh you know really angering these creatures
7: there's no doubt that there's a, a record of uh, various instances whereby chickens have had their uh, necks twisted off uh, domestic animals who. Uh, have run toward the beasts or toward the forest creatures, have been attacked. Uh, they, they certainly seem not to like uh, cats or dogs uh, that, that, that kind of infringe upon their territory. Uh, the, I don't know, the one story that comes to mind, it seems to be kind of uh, an in-your-face-leave-us-alone situation, is uh, one from the uh, Texas area and the State River, the East Sabine River, where a hog hunter had baited, and was up in a tree and watched while the hogs came up the river at daybreak and uh, uh, noticed something moving from tree to tree. When he put his scope up on uh, what was grabbing his attention, he noticed that it was uh, a big, hairy hominid, and it jumped out of the tree and in two leaps swatted a hog up against a tree, ran over, pummeled it to death. The other hogs scattered. This creature stood up and gave a couple of whoops and grunts, in, uh, in a dish, uh, direction away from the hunter and was answered uh, in two different directions as though maybe it was hunting in packs. It turned around, grabbed the hog, put it under its arm and began to scan the, sky, uh, the tree line where this hunter was located. It located the hunter and just looked at him and bared its teeth and growled at him and that's when he noticed it was a female and she turned and walked away with a hog under her arm. Just as if to say, you know, this is our territory, this is what I've done, And, of course, he sat sat in the tree, just dumbfounded for a good half hour before he left, never to return.
1: Well, I know if I saw anything like that, I'd be running in the other direction. I wouldn't worry about upsetting or provoking anything like that.
7: How's that for an in-your-face situation? (sighs) That's my favorite story. That really, really is.
2: I had a case in the San Luis Valley right along the Colorado-New Mexico border where uh, a hunter spotted a pair of Bigfoot that appeared to be stalking a herd of elk. And then uh, I think a day or two later, uh, two sets of tracks were found uh, over, you know, various terrain, mud, uh, snow, ice, bare, you know, bare ground. Uh, The tracks went for hundreds of yards. They were investigated by the county sheriff's department there. And uh, they found drops of blood that appeared to be uh, they had it tested. It was from an elk. And the larger of the two creatures uh, appeared to have been carrying some. Like an elk conch or something that was uh, dribbling blood, as they progressed down down this uh, winding trail down towards a river, uh, the Canaeus River. So, one of the things that that has surprised me in my uh, recent um, you know research into Bigfoot is they are hunters and they do eat meat. I I was always under the impression for years growing up, and and I never really saw a mention in books about them being uh, you know I I assumed they were omnivores, but you never really saw much mention of their you know the more carnivorous uh, elements of their diet uh, potentially. Have you guys encountered uh, other stories there from the Pennsylvania area where hunters have let's see seen Bigfoot that appeared to be stalking prey or or any sort of um, sightings that had Bigfoot uh, seen in conjunction with uh, with uh, some sort of uh, game animals or anything like that that they appeared to have uh, killed. Go ahead, Eric. I believe you have a couple.
6: Yeah, there there have been reports sent to us of creatures seen uh, lurking around chicken coops. We have a really great case from 2006 up in northeastern Pennsylvania where a family came home from uh, the holiday, July 4th. And upon arriving into their driveway, they heard very loud screams and roars coming from the forest behind their house. It went on for about 15 minutes. The next day, the kids were so curious about those screams, they went out to the forest to investigate. And they found a deer... Uh, A doe, actually, with its front right leg wedged in the Y of a tree, and its back haunch is completely ripped off. Um, No bullet holes, no claw marks or teeth marks in the neck from a cougar, no signs of an animal doing this to this deer. They did find large human-like footprints around this dead deer, and uh, the family was very insistent and very uh, confident that a Bigfoot killed this deer. And I've also heard other
2: reports as well. You have really good photographs on your website, by the way, uh, that document that.
6: Yeah, it was, it's a very interesting case, and I have the pictures um, that the witness sent me the day they discovered the deer, and they're pretty gruesome, and I won't post them because they're pretty gruesome. So those are the pictures up on the website are older pictures about a week later when our team arrived on the site to investigate. But it's, it's a very intriguing case, and just one of those cases you mentioned, a lot of people think these creatures are um, – they have a, a – a diet of herbs and uh, foliage and nuts and berries—they're vegetarians—but um, that's not the case. From the reports that we get and the things we hear from other researchers around the country, they are—they do have an omn- omnivorous diet, like a bear. I call them opportunists; they eat whatever they can. Whatever yeah, they can get. Out,
7: uh, dump- that sure. doesn't rule out uh, garbage dumps or dumpsters too, as far as that's concerned.
1: Are opportunists? They love McDonald's dumpsters. <laughs> Well, I understand Wendy's has changed their hamburger recipe, so maybe they're going to change their ways. We'll have the (laughs) Bigfoot going after Wendy's next. Okay, so if you ever tried one of the Wendy's burgers, you know, it's now somehow differently made. I won't get into that. We have Eric Altman, Dave Dragison, Bigfoot's on the table, but more's to come. You're listening to Gene and Chris on The Paracast.
15: Fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: You're listening to Gene and Chris on the Paracast with Dave Dragason and Eric Altman. We're talking about Bigfoot, and let's get into the evidence a bit more as we try to explore what's going on. Now, one of the unfortunate things about any kind of paranormal investigation, things that are unusual, the hoaxes out there. What do you think have been some of the notable hoaxes in Bigfoot land?
6: There's been a lot, an awful lot. The most recent comes to mind happened in 2008 in August, where, uh, it, yeah, I, I, I give the same exact response whenever it's brought up two gentlemen out of Georgia that claimed that they uh, discovered the body of a Bigfoot that was shot and killed. And And they were keeping it it in their refrigerator or something? Yeah, they put it in a freezer um, under ice. And they went on CNN. They went on uh, Fox News, uh, all the major national news channels, and even did a press conference. And they announced to the world they had this body. And they brought on a notable Bigfoot researcher, and he confirmed it. He said, I touched it. I felt it. It's real as I am. Real as you are standing there," he said to one of the reporters. And uh, a few days later, after they released the pictures and it hit the internet, the Bigfoot research community started looking into these pictures. And somebody said, "Hey, that looks like a costume on this website." They released the website, and sure enough, it was a costume. And then the hoax was busted within, I believe, a day. Uh, but this, it made
1: world news. This Bigfoot researcher who vouched for it—what's his name? Let's disclose this.
6: I'd rather not. <laughs> We'll just, we'll just say he's a very notable researcher. A lot of the folks in the research community know who this gentleman is. Is and he less notable now, I hope? Well, notorious <laughs> now, I think is the best way to put it. And I don't want to mention his name because he, he, doesn't, he likes to uh, go out and sue people for uh, slander, so I'm not going to bring his name up. But he's very notorious in the Bigfoot community now, and a lot of people um, feel that he has a very negative reputation because of that.
1: Well, you know, there's one thing about suing people if you're suing somebody for defamation, truth is your best defense.
7: After having my own talk show on commercial radio, I agree with you wholeheartedly.
1: <laughs> we haven't been sued yet, and I don't know how our network would mm-hmm. take it.
2: Yeah. Well, here's one that, that's always intrigued me. It's one of my favorite uh, kind of anomalous cases, and that is the case of the, uh, the Minnesota Iceman that was mm-hmm. uh, displayed under ice I think in the 60s. And... Uh, I think the storyline was that it was perhaps shot somewhere in Southeast Asia and brought back by returning GIs. It was bought by a, some rich, shadowy California uh, millionaire, and it was exhibited for a short time, I think, uh, in Minnesota. Argosy Magazine uh, had an issue that featured it, and there were some very intriguing photographs in it. And I think uh, Ivan Sanderson may have had a look at it, and he left scratching his head thinking that maybe that this was something legitimate. Do you guys uh, have any information on that? Do you think it was a hoax? Uh, the the thing disappeared, the specimen disappeared. It seemed, to I think, was shot through uh, the left eye, if I remember correctly. Are you familiar with that case?
7: Uh, I certainly am, and personally, I, I do believe that it could possibly have been real, very similar to the diversion of a body that was uh, displayed in France for a while, many, many years ago. Take it, Eric.
6: Yeah, we don't have any uh, support that the creature was real or a hoax. Um, There wasn't really any physical evidence collected that I'm aware of. Uh, You are correct in saying the body did disappear, and it did. Um, Nobody's uh, ever found out whatever happened to it. But it's a very interesting case, and one that has been documented. Ivan Sanderson was there, and he did take a look at the body. Um, What happened to it, nobody knows. One of those
2: Bigfoot that just disappeared, like, oof. (laughs)
7: Um, Which again i'm going to bring up a uh a hydrogen sulfide theory the fact that uh it is a uh, part of uh, uh, the the natural uh, environment all over uh north america and it's uh, it's readily available in rotting vegetation and in uh uh karst material and so on and it's believed in some theories in some circles that it could possibly either ingest or somehow through the process of os- osmosis uh get the nutrients involved from h2s Uh, not only lowering their metabolism, uh, which enables them to not have to eat as much for their large frame and just eat high-protein concentrations such as a liver and maybe uh, part of a a whitetail, and uh, continue its merry way without having to uh, uh, eat loads of food. And and then at the same time, uh, use that uh, hydrogen sulfide possibly as part of a defense mechanism when it's seen in the woods. And all of a sudden, when it releases that odor, very similar to a skunk, it is so overwhelming that uh, those who may be around it, uh, which it wants to avoid, uh, become so overwhelmed by it that the Bigfoot appears to disappear, and they lose track of time. They get sick. They become very disoriented. Uh, they they fall down. They become dizzy because of the uh, uh, the terrible effect that it has on their body, which was emitted by. Uh, these forest creatures. So that's just that's one theory.
16: Well, how
2: would they how would they maintain muscle mass and and maintain such a uh, robust physique? Uh, these creatures, uh, to my knowledge, have never been really reported as being emaciated, as being uh, perhaps even sickly. There is a case from Harrison Hot Springs, I think, in the mid 70s, mid to late 70s, where uh, what appeared to be an elderly Bigfoot came down, chased away a bunch of soakers at a hot springs there uh, in the Harrison Hot Springs area and uh, soaked in the hot springs. But other than that, I mean, I've, I've done quite a bit of research in this subject. I can't recall, and that, it's a good point that you're bringing up there about their uh, you know, high-protein possibly diet not needing to eat much because of H2S, but how would they maintain muscle mass? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me that a, a creature that looks like it works out every day in terms of its actual physique would be able to maintain such a robust uh, physique.
7: Well, I, I'm not going to uh, maintain that this is the, uh, uh, a theory that every one of the uh, forest creatures subscribe to, but possibly in time of uh, low food, vo- food volume in a particular area, uh, that could be a situation where in place of uh, a large substance of food, they may seek hydrogen sulfide uh, in order to enable them to continue uh, their uh, existence in a lower metabolic rate. To get some sort this, of
4: uh, uh, maybe I we should have a Bigfoot is.
2: a Bigfoot diet. We should uh, like package it and like make a million dollars. You know, we'll do a hydrogen yeah. sulfide uh, Bigfoot recommended diet.
1: Well, I know Gene of a local diet. health food factory right here in the Phoenix area. I can call them up and see if they're willing to do it. They, of course, prefer to sell sexual enhancement medications of different sorts, potions and, and how stuff would, like how that. How would you know that, Gene? Well, because the artist who does holographic design is a friend of mine, and I help him with his computers. That's why. So must, it's not you what you, you think it edge. is.
7: What an angle. What an
1: angle. You think? I couldn't yeah, resist. I know. I knew you were going to stick that in there, and you're going to try to stick it to me, but I will not let you do it. <laughs> oh, Watch boy. that one there, Gene. There you go. There you go. But I think part of the issue here is That with all this stuff, you know, we're trying to figure out the culture, the evidence about creatures that it's very difficult to prove. And I'm going to ask that other devil's advocate question. Is there any possibility that after all the research you've done that maybe, you know, it's a great exercise, but we're never going to come to any answers?
7: Maybe not in my lifetime.
1: Yeah, I'd have to
2: agree with that. I, I disagree. I think of all the paranormal phenomena, we have the best chance of uh, of getting a leg up on the reality of this situation, much more so than UFOs or other so-called paranormal phenomena. If this is a real crypto creature lurking about that's not truly paranormal, that is an undiscovered as yet identified species, then I think ultimately uh, we will have evidence. But the fact that we don't... Uh, gives people like uh, Jack L- L- Lepisardus, what's he call himself, Kiwani. He wrote the book The Psychic Sasquatch. And what do you think of the whole New Age kind of bent on this whole thing, that, that Bigfoot is an evolved being, that it has uh, the ability to sh- uh, shapeshift or go in and out of dimensional doorways? I mean, there are quite a number of cases where Bigfoot tracks seemingly start out of nowhere and then go for a while and then disappear out into thin air i mean how 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 do we as field investigators how are we able to explain that or reconcile um what appears to be very uh you know compelling visual evidence uh
1: staring at us on the ground i and mean i'll tell how- you what this is the question that we'll have to hold the answer for we're talking to eric altman Dave Dragason with Gene and Chris, you're in The (laughs) Paracast.
17: Have you been sitting on a few great domain name ideas, but haven't locked them in for yourself? Good. Now you can buy them through the number one domain name registrar, Namecheap.com, as voted by the top tech blog Lifehacker. Just like the name says, you can buy domains cheap, as low as $2.99. And every new domain comes with WhoisGuard, our special privacy service, free for the first year. Now that you know, it's time to grab those domain names before someone else does. Namecheap.com. Go now. Namecheap.com.
1: Fake Magazine provides true reports of the strange and strange unknown keep up with the latest on angels and miracles psychic phenomena ghosts ufos life after death and much much more to receive your free issue of fate magazine call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com that's 1-800-728-2730 what are you waiting for your fate awaits
10: Hey Bill, pick up line three, it's Brian. Hey Brian, what's up? Brian here. Thanks. Hey Bill, I just received my shipment of the safety net, our full year emergency food system. I can't tell you how great it feels to personally not have to worry anymore, especially with the growing threats to our everyday food supply. Brian, not only are you getting 4,320 nutritionally dense, delicious food servings, but the individual serving price is just $1.43 per meal. It's truly great tasting food at amazing prices. The variety is also a huge bonus bill. It's like having access to a full menu of impressive food. Well, it really is a safety net for those worried about the coming food shortages and how their families can Repair. It's great knowing I'm covered for the future, but I gotta
8: go, Bill, and get all this food unloaded.
10: With scorching heat, devastating U.S. cropland, there's never been a better time to visit SafetyNetSavings.com. That's SafetyNetSavings.com. Visit SafetyNetSavings.com today.
7: Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen guiley
1: and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. As is his want, because he wants to do it. Chris asked a long question, a very complicated question, but a very important question of our guests, Dave Dragason and Eric Altman, about Bigfoot and gathering evidence. Gentlemen, you want to have an answer? Go ahead,
7: Eric.
6: Well, we don't have an answer. That's the problem. We don't know why there are cases of these tracks that just end in the middle of a field. We don't know why some of these creatures are thought to disappear into thin air. Uh, we really don't know why we're not able to get a body or get a specimen or get solid concrete evidence. There's a lot of answers that we don't have yet and we're still looking into. Thus, the reason why some of these researchers reach out to that other possibility of them being from another dimension or coming from an alien spacecraft or being a spiritual being like the Native Americans um, told about in their legends and lore. Unfortunately, this mystery is just that. It's a big mystery, and there's a lot of puzzle pieces missing, and it gets stranger and stranger the longer I do this. Dave can attest to that. We've run into things out there in the woods that we just scratch our heads at, and you can't really answer why we can't collect evidence, why these evidence... uh, The footprints in the field, why they disappear, I I honestly don't know. I've been so dumbfounded in cases like that, and just, I don't know. But I don't go reaching out saying they're mystical creatures and they have that ability. I just try to solve the the answer for that particular riddle.
7: Also, why is it that it seems that there are maybe some people who are more attuned to see them on a repeated basis than others? Are they closer to nature? Are they closer to uh, the metaphysical forces that that are about us? than than the bulk of uh, our researchers are concerned. I've never seen one, and uh, uh, I can just attest to the fact that when I've interviewed people for my forensic sketches, I can tell you what I see in their eyes and what develops in their voices um, as they begin to reiterate and tell me about their experiences. You sometimes got to say, I'm glad I didn't get what I prayed for because I've known people who have kept their stories to themselves for up to 10 years before they've divulged information, and there are probably still people that stay in the closet because they do not want to be ridiculed. They don't want to be subject to uh, any kind of a smear campaign. Uh, They they don't want to be called nuts. I I feel sorry for them, especially if uh, they have a story to tell that they're worried about it falling on a deaf ear or possibly uh, a person who's going to make fun of them. The metaphysical world is a strange one, which I, I, don't, I know very little about as far as uh, my, my investigations are concerned, but I respect it, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm in a, a kind of agreement with Chris. I think we're closer than ever before as far as possibly one of these creatures goofing up and slipping. I, I really feel that either by accident or by curiosity is going to be the two keys by which we're going to be able to get some hard evidence on these guys.
2: Absolutely agree.
6: I'm still on the fence on that because I I really think that, and I've been doing this a long, long time, and it seems like we take one step up and two steps back when it comes to these creatures. They're always finding a way to outsmart us. They're always finding a way not to leave evidence. That We might get lucky. Dave's right. We might get lucky, and um, they goof up or they slip up, and we happen to be at the right place at the right time. But my feeling on it, as long as I've done this, is I don't think we're any closer today than we were 50 years ago.
1: If there is one Bigfoot sighting, Sasquatch sighting, Yeti sighting, whatever you want to call them, whatever part of the world, one case that you cite to somebody saying, this is an example of something that we can't figure out, we have no idea what it is, it's too compelling.
7: I can honestly tell you, in the years that I've been involved directly with one-on-one with people, I find that it's very interesting that there's always a nuance to a truthful person who's had an experience. That's well, can you give us a different? single
1: case, a singular case? Say, okay, here's the case that's going to make you look and say, "Gosh, I don't know what this could be." Well,
2: I'm the going March 19. Uh, 19- uh, uh, Eric, how about the or, or Dave? How about the March 12th, 1997, Derry Township case with these scratches on the guy's uh, Chevy uh, on on I think the trunk or. If I remember correctly, there was these long scratches that were analyzed. Would you consider that one of the more compelling cases? And that's right right in your guys' backyard there. Yeah, it
6: is. is. Yeah, Stan Gordon got that report back in uh, 97. Um, Actually, I think it was 94, if I'm not mistaken. It was one of those years. But he got the report, and it came from a bunch of younger adults, young men who were out driving around the back roads of Derry Township and had several encounters with this white creature. And apparently, it chased them down the road on their last encounter with it and, and did leave large scratches in the trunk. Um, pictures were taken. Um, I have never heard of any analyzation done on it or the results of it. It's a very compelling case, but another case where you just don't know. I mean, it could have the kids done it. Very possible because they never met with Stan, never took him to the location. According to Stan, they were told to shut up by uh, phone calls that were made to them, threatening phone calls just after their encounter. They were told, "Don't talk about it," so they didn't. Okay, who told them that? Just the men in black, or something? Well, according to the, the these question. young guys, according to these young guys, they said they got phone calls that night after their experience, telling them, "Don't talk to Stan Gordon." They never elaborated on who told them not to talk to Stan, but that's what they were told, and they didn't talk to Stan. Whoa. Of course, Stan has been a guest several times in the PowerCast. He's a
1: very well-known UFO researcher from your part of the country and certainly involved in the Kecksburg UFO incident. Lay another Bigfoot case on us. Really compelling, frightening, obviously compelling ants to mention. What was his name, Albert Osman, the one that
2: was kidnapped back in the uh, 30s, I think? or
6: what was that case? in
2: Yeah, in B.C., where he got uh, kidnapped in, in a sleeping bag and was held hostage for... Couple three days, yeah, if I, I remember correctly. correctly, and and yeah. uh, escape by blowing his snuff into the face of <laughs> the Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, come on, you guys, you got you got to have yeah. a top ten list, right?
6: Well, I have a case that that occurred, um, and it's a very compelling case. And actually, we have a couple that we can talk about. This one occurred back in, I want to say, two thousand and four in uh, South Greensburg, a very populated city here in southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a suburb of Pittsburgh, actually. And uh, the case involved this creature coming around this family's home almost on a nightly basis for one, at least two weeks. They found large footprints. They had something huge walk through their garden and left a huge wake. They took pictures. of. You could see where the, the, the foliage and the, the plants and everything were just crumpled down as some big animal walked through it. But the most compelling part about that case was they had a golden retriever that they left out in the yard, and it had a dog box. This thing was so frightened by this creature coming around, it literally dug its way under the dog box and stayed under there for days. It wouldn't come out. Now, uh, Stan's a mentor of mine. You mentioned Stan, and Stan always brings up a good point. You know, people may lie, um, our eyes may deceive us, but animals don't lie. When something happens to an animal, it, it really affects them, and they show that behavior. Um, and this dog, under the doghouse, n- would refuse to come out. We even put treats out for it. we tried to drag it by its chain. It just wouldn't come out. It was so terrified of something being around there. And we found uh, trace evidence. We found footprints up on the hill behind the house. We found a huge 30-foot area of, of matted grass that looked like some kind of big animal rolled around in it. Unfortunately, we didn't find any hair samples there. We found the garden. They took, they took pictures of it. They showed us the garden where some kind of big animal looked like it just paced back and forth through and just trampled all the, the vegetables and the, the, the foliage in that garden. It was a very remarkable case. We're going to be trampled on if we don't tell our listeners. We have Dave Dragason, Eric Altman
1: with Gene and Chris. You're in overcast <laughs> The GCN
9: Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here.
12: Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then... Dot .com Attack, Attack of the Rocklords, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition.
18: You know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. And most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of most alkaline minerals available. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins and acid, helping you to regain your energy and health. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body to rid itself of acidic waste increases oxygen, and raises the pH of your body to optimal levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only twenty nine ninety five dollars at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A, vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. Big Berkey Water
19: Filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey Water Filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit Big B E R K E Y Filters dot com or call eight seven seven ninety nine 99 Berkey. That's Big Berkey or call eight seven seven ninety nine E R K E Y today
20: you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country,
16: Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829.
20: Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem, guaranteed. He's helped thousands of people, and he can help you, too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download, direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com.
1: Or check us out at iTunes. Chris said as the episode progressed, his voice would get deeper and deeper. He would sound more and more like a Bigfoot. We're talking to Dave Dragason and Eric Altman, and exploring some compelling, some frightening cases about strange creatures. Now, when we're looking at the different origins here, we look at a missing link, some kind of creature that has existed here and we just haven't been able to find them because they're too darn smart. But what about the paranormal aspects of it? Because some people talk about other dimensions, maybe connected with UFO cases. So where do you folks stand on that, either one of you?
7: Wow, that's, that's a whole plateful there. I'll be honest with you, I've not experienced any of my witnesses on a one-to-one basis tell me anything with regard to uh, leaning in the paranormal or slash UFO categories with the exception of one, and that is the uh, classic uh, case that Stan Gordon as epitomized uh, back in the late 70s in Fayette County just north of Uniontown in an area called West Lyson Ring and the Pooch-Kowalczyk story where you had uh, not only people who owned a farm and uh, experienced uh, a glowing light in the middle of the field that the cows would not uh, go into uh, to graze. This happened in the evening, and you're talking uh, state trooper coming up and firing uh, tracer bullets at uh, two large creatures, one large, one small. I should say not two large creatures, but a large creature and an adolescent walking near the fence line with a state policeman. And my friend Kuchkowalczyk and his his uh, family stood by and watched, and the bullets just went right through. That is, that's is—that's about the only case I know of which has gained some some great uh, attention over the years. Uh, you want to expound on that, Eric? I think you know a little bit about it, too.
6: Yeah, that was a case that involved... Um... Greensburg State Poli- or Uniontown State Police, excuse me. And uh Stan Gordon was involved in it. There were other investigators involved in it. they had a, even had a well-known psychiatrist Bernhard Schwartz I believe his name was. Yeah, it was a, it's a very well-known case in Pennsylvania in the uh, the historical archives of sightings and it's for some reason back in that time, the 19 early 1970s, 73 and 74, there were a lot more of these cases, uh, a lot more involving strange lights in the sky. Um, not so much as they are today. I mean, there's no reports we get today of Bigfoot being seen around a strange light in the sky or strange paranormal phenomenon. It just seems that 7374 flat that took place here in southwestern Pennsylvania had a lot more cases associated with it.
2: Of course, there's always that uh, the Clearview case that occurred just outside of the U.S. Air Force Academy near Colorado Springs where a rancher was... You know, targeted by cattle mutilators, uh, he would see these strange blinking boxes up in trees that would be there one minute and he'd, he'd come back and they'd be gone. And then the the kind of the, I guess the climax of, of the case, which occurred over a, a period of a couple of months, if, I, if memory serves me correct, is um, some sort of saucer type craft landing. And what appeared to be human, you know, uniform clad military personnel coming out and and talking with the rancher and saying, oh, by the way, the blinking boxes you've seen and the Bigfoot uh, that you saw that jumped over the fence and twanged it. You know, they could hear the barbed wire, the top rung of the barbed wire going when they saw this creature sometime before this. He said, look over there. And they looked over, and underneath the tree was a Bigfoot standing there with one of these blinking boxes it was holding. And the guy reached down on his belt and said something to the effect of, well, we have control over them. You don't have to worry about them. And he hit a button, and the Bigfoot, like, fell down <laughs> on the ground and kind of twitched and lay there. And then he hit the button again. The Bigfoot stood back up. Are, are you familiar with that, that particular case? The clear It's called the Clearview case. Timothy Good mentioned it in uh, his book, I think, Above Top Secret, or one of his earlier books. Uh, Does that ring a bell to you guys? Uh, Leo Sprinkle investigated it, Tom Adams, uh, David Perkins. there A number of Colorado and Texas investigators were involved, and, of course, Leo was up in in Wyoming. But does that case ring a bell?
6: I haven't heard it before.
7: Likewise, which doesn't mean much as far as uh, it, uh, you know, I'm sure it exists and it happened, but that's, that's extremely intriguing.
2: I think this was seventy-eight, seventy-nine. I believe was the time frame for this one. So a little later than the wave that you guys were referring to uh,
1: some some years before. Now that's an interesting point of view here about waves. Do we see waves of Bigfoot sightings, as we see waves of UFO cases, UFO flaps, that sort of thing?
7: Very possible. Um, we had a. I, uh, I have. Yeah, well, you know, we've had a banner year in two thousand nine into two thousand ten here. Uh, right along Chestnut Ridge from the borders of Pennsylvania and West Virginia on up into the Confluence area, where we've had uh, well over 20 sightings, correct, Eric? Yeah,
6: 2009, in the summer of 2009, it began, and it carried over into 2010, and we're still getting residual reports to this day of sightings occurring in that area. So you do see flaps happen. When and where they're going to happen, we don't know. We have no idea. It just starts to happen. And then you have dry spells. It's quiet for a year or two. And you don't get anything. You don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, the activity picks up again.
1: And then we get to the other possibility here, that of so-called window areas of paranormal events. So do you see any synchronicity at all between Bigfoot sightings, UFO sightings, etc.?
6: Personally, I haven't. Um, however, in 2007 and um And even into 2009, um, my good friends Stan Gordon and John Ventry reported over 300 cases. And most of those cases were reported to the Pennsylvania MUFON chapter. Um, So there was a huge wave of sightings, and it still goes on today with the UFO sightings here in Pennsylvania. Um, But I don't know if there's a correlation between the two as far as one happens and then the other one happens. I really couldn't tell you. But we've seen huge flaps of UFOs. We've seen huge flaps of Bigfoot sightings. And paranormal activity is always going on somewhere.
7: As far as both of those uh, occurrences happening, UFOs with Bigfoot, uh, I have not, I can't attest to it as far as uh, windows are concerned, not since like the middle to late 70s as it once was. Uh, lately, maybe UFOs and then Bigfoot separate, but not together.
1: So does that imply that maybe there is no connection?
7: I think we, that really is left up to uh, maybe the book still being written on that. In many cases,
1: yeah, we have nothing to back that up or prove it. Exactly. So I'm going to ask you this the same question, Chris. In your explorations of the mysterious valley, all these years you spent, have you seen correlations in terms of outbreaks of paranormal events? Well, only the
2: that flap of sightings that I investigated uh, the last half of the last week of December '94 into the first half of the first week of January, 95, I received, coincidentally, seven reports, three of which were from that week period, and then the other four were from that fall, sort of uh, mid to late fall period. So we did have you know, an amazing flurry, actually, of Bigfoot sightings, and then two weeks later, we had one of the, I think, the Dark Horse UFO event in the entire country, when NORAD called the Rio Grande County Sheriff, uh, which again, Rio Grande County would be the, the next county north from where these Bigfoot sightings were. And NORAD called and uh, reported what later turned out witnesses uh, observed UFOs flying down into a mountain and possibly crashing. And we had a whole bunch of UFO sightings that surrounded that particular event. There was about a week lag between the Bigfoot sightings and then the, the tremendous up, upsurge of UFO activity. But... It was very difficult for me in my mind not to somehow think that there was some sort of connection on some level uh, between these two what appeared to be you know separate waves of events but very, very uh, close in
1: time proximity. Mm. We're looking at the strange cases of Bigfoot, other paranormal events, and I'm going to start asking in the next segment about how you mount an investigation. If you're somebody who has the guts to do it, how would you investigate, or how should you investigate Bigfoot? If you have a comment or a question, please write us news at the That's news at the We have Dave Dragerson, Eric Altman with Gene and Chris. You're in The Powercast. <laughs> See if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code Night Use the coupon code Night to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com.
16: I have bought a few bottles of heart and body extract and have to say that it, it certainly does work.
14: That's what Jack from Michigan had to say after his experience with heart pain and what he did to treat it with heart and body extract.
16: I actually had a huge heart flutter also having some edema around my ankles and very worrisome clot in my uh, right leg that would happen from time to time while I was trying to sleep.
14: Heart and body extract is all natural with no negative side effects. It will help repair or correct past problems associated with the heart and body circulation.
16: After my second bottle of heart and body extract, all problems are now gone.
14: Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305
16: I ordered a third bottle of Heart and Body Extract for maintenance as I want to keep everything working.
14: Order Heart and Body Extract at 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and Body Extract, for a long and healthy life. Question: When
10: the next disaster strikes, will you be ready? Answer: Yes, if you have top-quality survival gear from the survivalzone.com. These days, it's wise to keep a survival kit in your vehicle, home, and office. The survivalzone.com specializes in ready-to-go wilderness, 72-hour, and compact survival kits, plus freeze-dried and dehydrated food, MREs, stun guns, non-hybrid seeds, and much more. Call 603-838-5933 to be prepared with the survivalzone.com.
21: This is a special alert from eFoods Direct. Silver just dumped to a two-year low, and right now the stock market crashes and recrashes daily. What does that mean to you? When stocks crash, companies fail, jobs are lost, and you can't buy the already too expensive food. eFoods just got noticed that wholesale costs on pasta, rice, and beans will immediately jump 20%. The all-time high cost of sugar is tripling. Those who tried to buy silver for security just lost a big piece of the food their silver might have bought before it crashed. So what are you going to do? Get as much food as you can. With these problems you're facing, Efoods Direct has no choice but to extend the free shipping another week to October 9th. Free shipping to October 9th buys more food with shipping dollars. Call 800-409-5633 24 hours. Go to efoodsdirect.com/alex. Call 800-409-5633 or efoods Direct.com slash Alex. Remember, you can bet your life on eFoods Direct.
7: This is Kurt Seven, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the podcast.
1: We have our own favorite Bigfoot himself, number one favorite, Chris O'Brien, with Gene, our guest this week dave dragason and eric altman they're associated with an organization called the pennsylvania bigfoot society at pabigfootsociety.com they'll tell us more about later how you can learn more but when you check the listing on our site we have a link there on the paracast.com so you can find it so gentlemen perhaps either of you can define this i want to mount an investigation into Bigfoot somewhere. Maybe I've heard of cases in a particular area, particular region. Now I want to mount an investigation. Other than saying, I'm crazy doing it, how would I do it?
6: Well, it it does take some um, common sense. <laughs> That's the first thing I would suggest. Which means give doing. it up right now and just walk away. <laughs> I've been telling people that for years. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, just slowly back away. Exactly. Um, what we do in our investigations, and, and everybody's different. Everybody has their own methods, their procedures, their, the way they investigate. I don't think there is a right way or a wrong way. Um, people have different ways they go about it. But in our case, if we get a report submitted to the website, it usually comes to my, my email, and then I send it off to the closest investigator to that location so they can get right on it and they can get right to the area as quickly as possible. That investigator will then contact that witness either by phone, by email, uh, make some some type of uh, communication attempt to reach that witness. And if they're able to, we want to get as much information as we can on the phone, but we also want to try to meet that witness in person. Because as Dave talked a little bit about earlier, you can learn a great deal from people's emotions, body responses, um, body language. And and I prefer, and I know Dave will probably agree with me, I prefer meeting a, a witness in person. Uh, If we're able to do that and establish that uh, relationship and we can, in our conversation with them, learn a lot more about what they experienced, plus reassure them uh, and get them comfortable enough to take us to that area, that's our main goal. It's to go to that area where they have the sighting so we can then begin to look for physical evidence. Um, If that investigator finds physical evidence at that location or comes back to the group and says, hey, we've got something really going on here. The witness is credible. Um, this is a, a hot spot. We've had history here. We we've we possibly have some evidence there. Then we bring in other researchers to assist. And Dave, you want to take it from there?
8: The,
7: um, the answer to the question, I think, is also going to uh, rely on how much of a, an outdoorsman you may be and would know what to normally bring with you as far as being outfitted to the weather and the topography of your particular uh, home, your location, or where you plan to investigate, along with uh, any of the other neat little toys that you would like to uh, decide to bring with you, uh, including uh, latex latex gloves and and, uh, uh, samples of, uh, I I should say, gathering um, tools in order to uh, bring with you uh, samples that you may find or maybe some soft evidence along with uh, plaster paris uh, uh, depressions uh, if you happen to find a print, so they vary quite a bit i It could get very extensive as far as like what my pack uh, is is involved with i 'm looking at one right now in my my scent porch room I brought it out of the car recently i 've got a coleman lantern i 've got a pair of boots i 've got a couple of parabolic microphones uh, i 've got um, what a couple of sticks for uh, tree knocking uh, to make some tree knocks down which is a uh, a very common uh, sound that primates make. We think uh, we've had some answers to it. In response: I've got a walking stick. Uh, I've got a flashlight, uh, and it, this is extensive. I, I, I even bring lures with me. I, I've even gone as far as uh, uh, putting out peanut butter, sardines, and anise oil. I'll do anything. I will do anything. And we've also included uh, uh, mother's breast milk. Believe it or not, in a in a in a Plastic bag. As crazy as that sounds, about six years ago in the middle of Pennsylvania, uh, and it was taken. We don't know what took it, but it was gone uh, the next day. We hung it high above ground in a swampy area, and uh, it was gone. Uh, and uh, there were some some impressions in the soil. But to make a long story short, what we bring with us will vary. And I think over time, once you become uh, more attuned to what you think you could expect, or maybe expect the unexpected and be ready for it. You become acclimated on what your pack should be, what what you should bring with you in the woods, what you leave with you in the car, et cetera, et cetera.
1: What about sound recording equipment, what about cameras yep. any particular types that are useful or just what you get on your iPhone for the camera
7: that that can vary too i mean uh, we've we've got some real aficionados uh, in various big foot circles around us. Uh, Eric just acquired a FLir camera. You can take it from here, Eric, and let them know about what, what some of the gear that you've acquired.
6: Yeah, I've got uh, some pretty good audio recording equipment. I use what's called a Zoom uh, Q3. It's a video and audio recorder with a condenser mic built into it. It's handheld, portable, a digital recorder. It works very well and captures sound very well. Other people use the H2s. Um, we also use, as Dave mentioned, we have a, a thermal flitter camera that we take with us to detect body heat and heat signatures. Uh, we use night vision. We use... Uh, Trail cameras. Uh, We've tried a variety of different trail cameras, uh, from infrared to 35-millimeter trail cameras. Um, As Dave mentioned, he uses parabolic mics. Our group has several parabolic mics that we use. So it's all in what you can afford, and it's all in what your preference is. If you want to carry a large pack on your back to take all that equipment in the woods with you, by all means do so. Me personally, I used to haul all this stuff around. And it just got to be the point where it was monotonous, and I wasn't catching any evidence using this stuff. So I, I carry very little when I go out now: thirty-five millimeter camera or a digital camera, high-def camera, and my my digital recorder. That's about all I t- and a tape measure. That's about all I take. Okay, what about uh,
1: weapons here? Obviously, they appear to be dangerous. Should we have any weapons with which to defend ourselves?
7: Um, if you don't mind, Eric, let me walk into this. I feel that the, the bulk of America has become disney and I say that in the sense that uh, every critter out there is our friend, isn't it? No, it's dead wrong. And I would have to say protect yourself from the environmental um, scares that are, are real. I'm talking black bear, grizzly. I'm talking uh, cougar. I'm talking uh, uh, feral hogs. I'm talking uh, any, any type of uh, predator that could possibly infringe upon you and your family's safety while you're out investigating, protect yourself, whether that means... Just pepper spray, or whether you feel safe with, uh, like, for instance, a very popular gun nowadays is uh, the Judge, which can be used either as a 410 shotgun shell or a 45 slug. Uh, And that's to protect uh, against snakes or predators. Uh, That will vary, Gene, as far as how you feel safe in the woods. Uh, I'll be honest with you, there have been a few nights where I've been out, and I'm glad I'm carrying. Uh, simply because I don't know what has been prancing around in the dark around me. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to use a, a weapon, but it does mean that uh, I, I feel protected with pepper spray and I feel a little bit more secure with items as such. I'm not talking you know, heavy, heavy ballistics here. I'm just talking some protective means, uh, moderately speaking.
1: Well, that's yeah. the other question, too, here. I think if somebody was going but to you're get... Not, a, you're
2: not going to bring a twenty two out with you and expect to stop a rampaging Bigfoot.
1: Well, it doesn't matter. I wouldn't take anything unless I had training to use it, you know, because of I'd course. end up shooting somebody I know. Of course. So this is not something... We're not recommending, folks, here, that you bring a deadly weapon with you because if you don't know what you're doing, you can cause all sorts of havoc. You might be going into areas where it's not allowed... You know, you might hurt the people that you hope to protect. And there's another question I'm going to ask about that, which is, is it possible to try to capture one of these things, get the ironclad evidence? So, guys, let me ask you a quick question here before we go on. How can a person learn more about the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society?
6: Well, we have several uh, ways of folks finding information about us or contacting us, and one of them being our website, which is pabigfootsociety.com. Or if you go to Google or Yahoo, just type in Pennsylvania Bigfoot or Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, our website comes up. And we're also on Facebook as well. Uh, If you type in Facebook in the search engine, type Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, you'll find us there as well. Lots of information, photos, uh, especially on our Facebook page. I keep that one more updated than our website. Is this
1: a membership organization like a MUFON where you join, pay $10 a year or something and you get your membership card? How's it work?
6: Uh, it is a membership organization, but it's by invitation only we don't just take anybody that's interested in joining uh We have public expeditions yearly um actually biannual and uh, we invite the public to come join us so we get to know them they get to know us if we feel they're a good fit and would would make a good member then we send out the invitation to that person and um, likewise, they can make that determination if they're we're a good fit for them and they can join us so we don't have an open membership where anybody can join we have a private invitation only membership and uh, as of the last three years no we have not collected dues okay so basically as it is most of what we learn about your organization is
1: available online tell our listeners what the address again is it's uh pabigfootsociety.com we have eric altman dave dragerson with gene and chris you're in the (laughs) Paracast.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's
1: Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast with Dave Dragas and Eric Altman. We've been focusing mostly on Bigfoot and some of the UFO possible other paranormal implications. We'll get more covered but now that we've equipped somebody or a team of people to go out there, investigators, with all this equipment, before we even have them leave the door, is there any the place? Hard part. The hard this part, is the hard part. Okay, this is the hard part, folks, which is, you know, you just can't go out there not knowing what you're doing.
6: Is there any place you can receive training on how to do this? No, not really. (laughs) There isn't a a Bigfoot manual out there.
2: That wasn't the hard part, Gene. It's where do you go? That's the hard part because I think as Eric was kind of intimating here before, you're going to be spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours with no result hoping for that one event that's going to make it all worthwhile. And it's knowing where to go and being lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time. That's the hard part.
7: Just like a good hunter may scout an area before he or she decides upon it being a, a hotbed for a potential um, game, you, you should know the characteristics and what database of information we've been able to accumulate or um, uh, rely upon over the years, and that is uh, the water routes, uh, possible game trails, uh, how to recognize them, and uh, the fact that we are uh, a go-to site when people have a an experience or a sighting gives us a little bit of an advantage. Uh, like like Chris said, you know, you could spend hundreds of hours in Sector Three up uh, up around uh, I don't know Podunk U, and all of a sudden it's in Sector Z all the way out by your grandma's house, and you had no idea. So that is an advantage to us whenever we have a witness give us uh, some information with regard. to the fact that we do have people spread across Pennsylvania. Hopefully we can get to them within 24 or 48 hours so either the trail stays hot and or that image is still fresh or the experience is fresh in that witness's mind.
1: Do you ever want to try to capture one of these things?
7: I got it. You know, these things are so strong and agile. I've had people say that they've been clocked somewhere between 25 to 27 miles per hour bipedally. If they've dropped all fours, become even more agile and about twice as, twice as fast. The, the ability for them to be able to in the dark of night step and know where they're stepping and get around what would be obstacles in the wood for the uh for the for the human eye gives them some sort of a, they have some kind of advantage they they have to in order to be able to be so agile and move so quickly and stealthily uh in the dark of night just the uh, mere fact that uh, you, you try to uh, um wonder what the heck is going around you in the middle of the night or in the, uh, the light of day. Uh, these creatures have been known to be uh, quite effective, quite agile, quite fast. I wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't want to capture one. I'll be very honest with you, Gene. I don't know how I would capture one unless they were to have a heart attack and lay down in front of me. <laughs> I don't know whether or not I, have, I would have the rope with me to, to tie them up and keep them down.
1: We don't want that to happen. Right. It's like trying to
2: go into the UFC as a novice and uh, tackle Anderson Silva or, uh, yeah, exactly. I don't know, uh, Brock Lesnar. I think it would probably be the more appropriate uh, <laughs> fighter. You know, here's, here's, here's one. Um, there was a rumor going around uh, not too long ago on the Internet, and I did hear rumblings of this back in the mid-'80s about the uh, Mount St. Helens eruption. And, and there were stories that uh, the U.S. military – um, had brought in choppers and, and search teams, and they were looking for Bigfoot that had been caught by the Mount St. Helens eruption. And there's one story, I think David Childress, who we had on the program uh, some months back, talking about his books, uh, his, uh, I think one of his latest books, Yetis, uh, Sasquatch, and Harry Giants, that there were some stories about um, people seeing a recovery team that was able to actually capture a Bigfoot and possibly even, uh, I guess, acquire uh, the remains of one. Uh, do you guys uh, know anything about that? Have you heard anything about uh, that particular scenario?
7: I remember reading it, and uh, to me it was, a, in a nutshell, there was a, a group of animals that lay dead because of Mount St. Helens, there was a group of uh, humans, and then there was a group of uh, um, creatures underneath a tarp that kind of looked like uh, Chewbacca, and it was told that they were told to just keep keep quiet and walk away and don't say anything to anybody. Now that's it in a nutshell.
1: And by the way, folks, Chewbacca was not a real Yeti, brought in there, and you know, with a trainer.
10: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
7: uh, the, another good story, or I should say, a case in point, is the forest fire situation where uh, uh, the firefighters were. Uh, trying to uh, quell a fire in, in the northwest region, and um, they saw what appeared to be a, a wandering creature, not known to them what it was at first, and then found out that it was a, uh, a, a squatch, And uh, they were able to bring it in and had care for it under the uh, watchful eyes of uh, a veterinarian and also um, a physician as they brought it back to health and it was kind of uh... nurtured and calmed down with uh, an american indian gal who happened to be kind of like a um, a nurse firefighter shit, uh, person with that crew of people and uh... they kind of like um, i guess got it to normalcy as far as its uh... uh physiological characteristics and, and attributes and and
1: the
7: next day it was gone it disappeared on uh, supposedly in the back of a, um, a military truck so
1: I, I On the back of a military truck. So is that the point there, that maybe the governments do have these creatures in cages, perhaps? I don't know about that. Maybe in boxes.
2: <laughs> yeah, in, in Nightmare Hall and Dulce, and they're making a super uber
1: warrior. <laughs> but well, that's whole- a point that I see from your website here, a very important point I see from your website. You're not going to try to bring them down. You're not going to try to kill them.
6: No. And, and to, just to reiterate what Dave was saying, you know, you hear all these stories, and the Mount St. Helens story, the Georgia story, but there's not, no proof. So to me, they're just stories. Could they have happened? Sure. But do we know? No, we don't. Um, so I just want to re- reiterate that. Yep. Good, good um, point. No, I agree. Is the government involved with it? I don't think so. And, and as far as us killing these creatures and trying to capture them, no. I think it's foolish. I think we're wasting our time.
7: I think there's quite a lot of people that uh, uh, are aware of their existence and are uh, remaining quiet about it. I'm talking about in uh, kind of like the far remote areas of uh, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and, and places elsewhere across the United States. They don't want uh, uh, man, so to speak, to come in and infringe upon what they feel is a habit that, that's been sanctioned for them uh, since time immemorial. So uh, you're not going to get these people who may know where they are to... Uh, Um, you know, cast a, uh, I don't know, uh, a a, a good word for those who are researching and investigating. Going back to uh, the possible situation of curiosity versus uh, accident, uh, one story I wanted to bring up was with one of our investigators out east in Pennsylvania who came to uh, the aid of a family who would see an adult at their home stay by the wood line And a young adolescent squatch come and stay by the house uh, and just stare into a certain area of the home. And upon investigation, one of our um, uh, experienced researchers went and observed the tree line where the adult stood and could observe the adolescent and then went to where the woman of the house said the uh, young creature would come and sit and just watch. And uh, our researcher sat down on his haunches and looked in to the bottom portion of the house, and there, in the in the uh, basement area, was where her son used to have his bedroom as he was growing up, no longer, but still kept uh, as it was whenever he was living there. And here, in his bedroom, was a rocker recliner, and in the rocker recliner was a stuffed gorilla with a cowboy hat on. That's what the little one was looking at. That's what intrigued it. That's what it was well, curious about.
2: Well, you know, uh, David, that brings up a really interesting point, and... One of the things that David Childress happened to, uh, you know, kind of emphasize and mention is an apparent fascination by these creatures uh, to human sexuality.
19: Well, you know what? That
1: opens up a whole thing that we want to explore more in the next segment. You're listening to Gene and Chris. We're talking to Eric Altman and Dave Dragason. You're in The Pericast. latest podcasts clean up the soundtrack of that holiday video mix together a few takes from your last jamming session process the audio files of the video game you're creating to sound just right but look no further whatever audio related task you're looking to perform amadeus pro is the tool for you it's the swiss army knife of sound editing go to Harersoft.com. h-a-i-r-e-r soft.com
10: Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius, John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives. Increasing capacity, and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today.
18: You know that drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. And most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of most alkaline minerals available. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins and acid, helping you to regain your energy and health. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body to rid itself of acidic waste increases oxygen, and raises the pH of your body to optimal levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only twenty nine ninety five dollars at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A, vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about The Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download, direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Dot com, or check us
1: out at iTunes. Okay, Chris, I don't know where to go with this because this is a family radio show, but we're finding here that what you're saying and our guests, Eric Altman, and of course, Dave Dragason are listening, Chris, that Bigfoot seems to be interested in our sexual practices.
2: Well when we had David uh, Childers on the program he brought up a very interesting point uh, that he he was just kind of wondering about based on some fairly recent reports uh most notably as he mentioned the DuPont monster uh wave that happened in Illinois and again I you know before I, I go further here I I think we need to stress to to the audience that Bigfoot aren't only seen in the Pacific Northwest or Pennsylvania or in Colorado or or the places that we've been talking about, uh, Bigfoot have been reported. Correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, but I think in 49 of 50 states, and almost every culture around the world, uh, especially in remote areas, has some sort of wild man, hairy man, uh, Yetis, uh, skunk apes. I mean, there's there's various types of these creatures that are found all over the world. But uh, I just want you know to remind everybody that we're not dealing with something that that. It's it's all pervasive, I think, ge- geographically. But w- w- we had a case here uh, just down the road, actually, from me, about 40 miles away on the Mogollon Rim, where an, an Apache Indian couple was uh, making whoopee, I think. <laughs> they were getting it on, you know, indulging in hanky-panky in the bedroom, and they noticed something or somebody was peering through their window. You know, they were, I guess uh, – <laughs> alarmed enough to call the uh, fort apache you know police basically and the apache uh, cops came rushing out there and they witnessed a bigfoot running away from the house there they went on camera in their uniforms they uh, official reports were filed they they were very out you know out front and and verified uh the case and and David also mentioned the DuPont monster, which is seen almost exclusively in areas where there's lovers' lanes, and Bigfoot have been seen looking into parked cars where young you know where teenagers are getting it on there seems to be a fascination with some sort of human sexual process um also uh, uh menstruating women uh have been seem to in a few cases i think have been subject to the curiosity of Bigfoot. Um, have you guys seen uh, any parallels in all the cases that that you filed and, and, and investigated in your area there?
7: You mean like the night I spent in the back seat of the drive-in with Bigfoot?
2: <laughs> well, we don't want to go there. Like Gene said, okay. this is a family show.
1: Yes, we can hint, but we cannot be too graphic.
7: <laughs> go ahead, Gary.
6: Did um, you frighten I, me? I've had people tell me stories and share with me anecdotal stories of – People being involved in in sexually compromising positions and having a bigfoot walk up to where they're at and watch them or observe them, um, it's an interesting point that you bring up. And it very well might be. We we honestly don't know why this attraction happens, but there might be a couple reasons. One, the sounds, and two, pheromones that might be an attractant for this creature. Uh, a doctor Bombanic out of the Midwest has actually created pheromone chips with the purpose of luring these creatures in. The pheromone chips are made out of uh, female, -female, human-female pheromones and primate pheromones attached to this chip. And there very well might be a connection with the pheromones that are given off during a a sexual encounter or the noises they're given off during a sexual encounter. We really don't know. It's a fascinating subject, but unfortunately, we really don't have an answer for it.
7: Sometimes in uh, our vocalizations and uh, broadcasting calls that we practice on many of the evenings that we're out doing research, we may switch from uh, what is assumed to be Bigfoot calls that we have gathered digitally uh, and uh, insert baby cries, children uh, laughing, and also women screams in ecstasy and in, um, uh, in fright. That seems to have also spurred either vocalizations in return or at least some sort of activity nearby as much as uh, what we assume to be some of the Bigfoot calls that have been accumulated over the years. In an area of the Chestnut Ridge um, is a place called Jemonneville, and that, of course, is from the French Lieutenant Jemonneville uh, in the French and Indian War. There is a place in the state park up there called Glen. Uh One of the local constables that Eric and I have met over the years was on a uh, fire call, uh, or an emergency call, I should say, back in the late 70s, in a response to the Jermontville Glen area, simply because there was a, a couple of a couple that were in the Jermontville Glen area. Now, if you can picture a wooded uh, area with seats very similar to maybe what you would picture as an outdoor chapel, uh, they were sitting there in the in the chapel area of Jamonville Glen, and they were making out. They were starting to get accosted by what they did not know was uh, surrounding them with, I assume, just one creature from what I can recall. They took off through the glen out onto the main road and got into the safety of their car. And uh, much to their surprise, this creature followed them and was actually shaking the car with its hand at the top of a window trying to get in at at them. And this was attested to the fact by... They reiterated to the emergency people that came upon the scene afterwards that they were basically accosted by some unknown creature. Uh, that is a hot spot, too, by the way, in that Jeromeville area over the years, historically speaking. So maybe I've answered a couple of questions uh, in my response, Gene.
1: All right, all right. So we have the curious interests of the Bigfoot. Now, in addition to Bigfoot, and obviously this consumes most of the show. What other kind of creatures are you seeing in your neck of the woods?
6: Hmm. We've we've My gotten reports. Away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we can't account for that anymore. But um, we've gotten reports of um, mountain lions, uh, cougars here in Pennsylvania, which the the gate the game commission insists there's not a breeding population here. But yet, people are citing these. We're finding tracks, um, and they're being reported by very credible people. There's even, if I'm not mistaken. Been several game camera photos taken of these mountain lions in the area. Um, Thunderbirds is another creature that's reportedly seen here in southwestern Pennsylvania, a, a yeah. large black like bird with uh, 12 to 20 foot wingspan. Sometimes they're described as almost like a pterodon, uh, black leathery skin or uh, membrane on the wings. Um, some other creatures that have been cited uh, the dog man. It's, it's just become uh, a strange phenomenon that's been reported. Um, A dog-like creature that walks upright like a man, which personally I think is a Bigfoot people just misidentifying. Um, And there's also been sightings of the Mothman here in Pennsylvania as well. Recently? Um, Yeah. As a matter of fact, this past spring, uh, there was a sighting in Butler uh, County of a large winged gray type of creature that walked across the road in front of a a man driving down the road. Um, He saw, saw it, said it almost looked demonic-like. It had a pointed head, um, long bat-like wings that were tucked in on its back, very grayish in color, and walked like a human, much like the descriptions from the uh, 1967 from uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. I'll tell you what, we'll have more of this coming up. More
1: creatures. We've had Bigfoot, we've got Mothman, we've got Thunderbirds, you've got Gene and Chris, because you're in the (laughs) Bearcast. Iodine protection packs
11: from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant Powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant Powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today.
19: Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products, but increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water, and because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today.
8: Alex Jones here with vital information concerning our nation's fragile food supply. Folks, there are some truly dangerous trends forming, and I think it's important for my listeners to do three things right away. Number one, study the past. History really does repeat itself. Number two, learn to spot the dangerous food shortage trends. Number three, take decisive action. A perfect storm is brewing, or a global food crisis. That's why I'm telling everyone to read the new book, Rising Prices, Empty Shelves. Warning signs that trigger the deadliest famines in history. Don't get caught unprepared when the crisis hits. This book is only available at risingpricesemptyshelves.com. You'll also get a free copy of Supermarket Survival, How to Cut Your Grocery Bills in Half. Again, that website is risingpricesemptyshelves.com. That's risingpricesemptyshelves.com.
7: This is Jim Mosley, editor of Saucer Smear, and I'm here to say a good word or two about the Paracast, which I believe is the gold standard of paranormal radio. Listen to it if you can.
1: We've never determined what kind of creature Chris really is. You know, what has he become? Is he a shapeshifter? All right, you know, we were going to do a show on werewolves, and the thing kind of fell through. So that's an interesting question to ask. Any evidence here of shape-shifting sorts of creatures
6: in the wilds with Eric Altman and Dave Tragason? Anything? There's just stories that we're aware of. There's no physical evidence, just the stories and the witness reports.
7: I had a close friend who uh, had an experience going to a Penn State football game about 15 years ago. He was uh, hes a sound... Um, mixer. He worked for the Penguins and the uh, uh, the Pirates and the Steelers, but back then he was starting out mixing and he had a uh, date with the Nittany Lions. He left on a Friday night was going across Route 22 in the Blairsville area and once again that's the Chestnut Ridge vicinity. He was crossing over the ridge and uh, he looked out the side window of his car, the passenger side. Running alongside of him uh, was a creature with red glowing eyes looking in on all fours, looking in at him, almost in a sort of like a snarling smile, intimidation uh, look. And he gassed the car, and in his rearview mirror, he said what looked to be, as it leaked twice across the road and cleared the road in two leaps, the back of a werewolf. Uh, He kept that story hidden for over 10 years until he was with me on um, an installation at Edinburgh University just a couple of years ago, and uh, he said are there any werewolves in Pennsylvania? And I said, you know, not to my knowledge, I don't think there's any werewolves, period. And he began to reiterate his story uh, within a period of three hours at least 20 times because he held it in so long, but he squares. That's what it looked like, more of a werewolf appearance than and a dog man as opposed to a squatch. That's the only one that I'm aware of.
1: So forget about the werewolves, but Thunderbirds, Mothmen, we get that kind of creature. Do we see any relationship with any of these creatures?
6: I can't Not say of any kind of relationship. The The Thunderbird and the Mothman reports are very rare. Um, much, much less than the Bigfoot sightings. The Bigfoot sightings are, I would have to say, hugely more popular than the Mothman and the Thunderbird reports are. I
2: agree.
1: Relationships, boy, sure make for an interesting baby. That's true. Genetically compatible, you think of what kind of creature you can come up with. As Now we'll go back to the implications sexually that was hinted at earlier any evidence at all that a bigfoot ever tried to get it on with a human well
6: (laughs) if you ask jack lasperitis he's had several um encounters with these creatures he wrote about it in his book not not that i'm aware of i've never heard anything um i've never read any reports um so i have to say no
2: Couple there's a couple from the Far East. There's some Yeti reports that uh do kind of hint around at some sort of hybrid offspring, but uh again that's you know, uh that's on the other side of the planet and who knows what the evidence chain is on something like that, but there are stories from the Himalayas that do uh suggest that possibility.
7: And Russia too, with the honesty.
2: Mm. In fact, there's photographs. I think of uh, of the son. I think that was supposedly born. I think David has that in his book. Mm-hmm. That's
15: fair.
1: Well, there you go. At least maybe they're smarter to stay away from us. <laughs> Have we ever yeah. tried? You know, what about attempts to communicate with Bigfoot and any of these creatures? And you mentioned before Bigfoot has kind of an ape-like manner of expressing itself. So any way we've ever tried to communicate with them, when I mean, we try to communicate with dolphins and we succeed. So if Bigfoot is intelligent, can we send them a message?
6: If I can answer that real quick, um, yes. A lot of researchers do try to communicate with these creatures through vocalizations that we broadcast and through wood knocking. And you know, as I was researching the subject growing up, that was talked about in the 70s, but it wasn't really broadcast um, It wasn't something that researchers were really doing, Um, but now we are because we've learned through studying primates, chimpanzees communicate by clacking rocks together and by knocking on different trees with different objects. So they communicate that way. And uh, I've I've got that from uh, primatologist Esteban Sarmiento. He and I had a lengthy discussion about that. So we do try to communicate with them. Uh, What we're saying to them, I have no idea. Or what they understand us saying to them.
7: I I have recently uh, come to the realization that why not try it? And that is sort of a a mental thought process when I'm uh, out researching and not uh, either cavorting or talking with uh, the other researchers, but I'm just thinking and listening and hoping that something is going to, uh, you know, return a call or uh, make an appearance. Uh, I'm thinking thinking positively. Uh, There's uh, a lot to be said about that. Uh, with regard to uh, thought processes, uh, I, I see nothing wrong with it as far as uh, trying to be uh, general minded uh, neutral, and in, in, in my invasive uh, uh, way in their territory. But uh, I look at it this way. It's a St. Thomas Aquinas. Why not? Why not believe in it? So uh, that's kind of how uh, I only look at it.
1: Let me uh, kind of do a little background research with you guys because we're getting into the final section and a half of the show. Eric, what's your background? Do you have a day job? How did you get involved in this?
6: Uh, Yeah, I do have a a day job. I work for a telecommunications company, and I've been with the company for about 13 years now. Um, And I have a background in communication. I've worked in radio, newspaper, uh, dispatching, public dispatching for a 911 call center, and now the job that I have. So I have a a background in in communications. Um, My interest began... uh, 31 years ago when I was 10 years old, and uh, I spent a good part of that 31 years just educating myself, reading the books, reading the magazines, learning from other researchers, following their work before I made the leap into the field and started investigating for myself. Dave, what about you?
7: I uh, studied communications at California State University in Pennsylvania prior to having the radio station begin in the basement of my apartment, which became accredited two years later. I was in pathology and audiology studying the international phonetic alphabet, so I uh, had an extensive uh, routing of my soul with murmured diphthongs and fricatives and plosives and are able to understand when I th- I feel that there's a diaphronous call coming from the woods. I, I have a, a good sense that what I've heard is either made with uh, um, uh, you know, a squatch or a fox or... Uh, maybe out bear, there. Uh, and also my background, it deals with uh, art, too, before I went into communications with radio and TV, and thus the forensic uh, artist sketch capabilities come into play as of just a couple of years ago. My background has been in radio and television and uh, video production over the years, uh, emceeing many concerts and events, and uh, right now I have my own uh, production company still, and... Um, I'm also an event coordinator and planner in uh, many arenas.
1: What got you exposed to Bigfoot lore?
7: I probably was interested as a child when the uh, um, Patterson uh, situation came about from Willow Creek. And it intrigued me so, along with uh, movies such as Legend of Boggy Creek. And then when I got into radio, uh, I became a talk show host and had people such as Stan Gordon become my friend and uh, kind of like uh, kept the, uh, the fire on the back burner with regard to research over the years and uh, kind of silently did it until I found out there, there were a lot of people doing it, including Eric in the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society.
1: Yes, I know about becoming a talk show host. I, was, <laughs> I played that game, played talk show host, when I was 16 or 17 years old in my home with lots of microphones and two tape recorders. And I said, you know, you can't make a living at this. Why am I doing this? <laughs> uh, you know, right. I was yeah, right. Good point. You know, yeah, you know. You
2: well, start- Jim, you know, you know how I got involved in, in being fascinated with this subject? In 1970, uh, my folks built a, a new house. And the lead carpenter, uh, his name was Otis Wettstein and he was a boyhood friend of Roger Patterson and it had only been a couple of years since the uh, the famous uh, the Gimlin footage uh, you know the Patterson you know the most famous footage of all
1: time and this is uh, of course the cliffhanger the time we'll hear the rest of the story on the other side of the peregrast
9: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
1: So here's what happened. I was placing an order online
4: Jason Lewis here. We talk daily about all the crazy stuff happening around the world. Concerns with the economy, job loss and natural disasters, just to name a few. Let me ask you, what are you doing to be prepared? How will you provide for your family in an emergency? Well, for my preparation, I recommend WiseFoodStorage.com WiseFoodStorage.com offers delicious ready-made freeze-dry meals that carry a 25-year shelf life and you prepare them in minutes by simply adding water. Storage entrees are packaged in individual metal mylar pouches then stored in convenient grab-and-go plastic containers for freshness and easy transport go to wisefoodstorage.com today to request a free entree sample and for a limited time enter the promo code lewis to get free shipping on any order call 855 food wise that's 855-366-3947 or visit wisefoodstorage.com wisefoodstorage.com gourmet emergency food at the best price.
16: Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla
20: has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800 800- 346 That's 800. 34, no tax.
14: Can Heart and Body Extract help with other ailments besides heart conditions, high blood pressure, clogged arteries, or unbalanced cholesterol? It did for Karen.
8: I've been using Heart and Body Extract for approximately 2 weeks. I've had an earwax buildup problem for many years with over the counter stuff not working at all. I had very poor hearing due to this earwax buildup. Well, after two weeks of taking heart and body extract, my earwax buildup almost completely cleared up. Could this be the effect of better body circulation? Heart and
14: body extract is an effective 100% organic nutritional supplement specially formulated to allow your body to heal itself.
17: My hearing is almost completely back to normal. I'm
14: amazed. Order by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and Body Extract, for long and healthy life. This is Jacques Valley.
7: you You're listening to the podcast. The gold standard of paranormal
1: radio. It's so fascinating, ladies and gentlemen. We start, Chris picks up an interesting thread or a story. He's about to tell us something really fascinating, and then we have to break. Yeah, you do that on purpose. That's right. It's me and the network. We're doing it. It's it's all by design. By intelligent design. So tell us the rest of the story. Well, I remember,
2: you know, having a, a real intense conversation with with Otis uh, because I had been uh, talking about this. You know, it, it was still a, a newsworthy item in the Pacific Northwest. I, of course, I grew up in the Seattle area, and uh, he says, "Oh, well, I I know Roger Patterson really well. I, you know, we were boyhood friends together. We Went to the same school together, and." And I said, well, you know, is it a hoax, like the papers are saying, or is it real? And he said, Roger Patterson is a God-fearing Christian man. He would never, ever try to perpetrate a hoax. Uh, Not the guy I know. So I was always struck by that because Otis was, you know, just a blue-collar guy, straight shooter. And I've always, since then, actually, I, I must say, I've been totally fascinated with this subject. I think this is a true mystery. There are some sort of creatures out there, whether they're fully manifest, whether they're crypto zoological creatures. For many years, I, I, I felt that they were. I'm starting to, to edge away from that. I think that there may be some sort of paranormal aspect to them. They may have some sort of access to some sort of spiritual knowledge like the natives kind of hint around at that allow them uh, you know, some sort of superhuman capabilities in terms of maybe shape-shifting or disappearing at will, possibly teleporting. My brother and I have both had what we feel were legitimate, real close encounters uh, with these creatures. I applaud you guys uh, and your your diligence, the way that that you've set up, you know, this society and, and, and the way that you are really looking at this from a nuts and bolts scientific point of view. Gene and I have been having fun on the show here, but let me, you know, underscore my respect for your work, I know how difficult it is to go out night after night after night, stake places out, come up empty. You know, the lust of result for that one groundbreaking revelation or sighting uh, event or, or case data uh, to me is what drives me on in my process. And I, I really want to applaud you guys publicly here and say, you know, even though I've been having fun and, and cracking a few jokes here and there, this is serious work. I think, as I said before, I think that this is possibly the one mystery that we are going to be able to crack before all the others, UFOs, you know, hauntings, I think are equivocal. Uh, I mean, you can go down the line of paranormal phenomena, you know, the, the, the debunkers and the side cops out there hopefully are going to be eating crow when the ultimate event occurs and we do get irrefutable unequivocable data that is, demonstrates the reality of these creatures. And I, I know it's out there. And it's just a matter of time, I think, now in this high-tech age, that we're, we're going to be able to gather that. So I'm off my soapbox.
7: Okay. Thank you for the compliment, but I also want to I'll thank you for the validation from your friend, Otis, because it's those little pieces that keep uh, the big thoughts going for us. Exactly.
1: So, guys, where do we go from here? How do we get to the next step where you can go to mainstream scientists and say... Here's the evidence, indisputable, this is it, we've got this strange creature, we've got to understand more about it. How do we do it? Through diligence. Hard work.
6: Exactly. We we just have to keep doing what we're doing, You know, spending the, the countless hours and days and nights and months in the woods collecting data, putting the pieces of the puzzle together, hopefully one day coming across that, that concrete piece of evidence, that appendage, that body, that physical proof that science demands – and once we have that then it's game on from there scientists will come in and start to study this creature in a natural habitat and you know grants will be issued funding will be available and the equipment that will be used then is much better than the amateurs have right now
1: so in a sense people like you are working to put your organization out of business then if mainstream science takes over what's your purpose and function then
6: i think our purpose and our function is going to be scientists will be able to come to those who've studied this for a long time and ask questions and find out answers. So I don't think we'll be pushed to the side. I think we'll be consulted. They'll ask us about different behaviors we've learned over the years, the the information we've collected. So I think we'll be a, a big key part of the study of this creature once it's discovered.
7: I don't mean in a monetary sense, but kind of like a Gene Roddenberry, George Lucas sort of thing as far as ideas are concerned we have more than ideas. Hopefully, we're we're starting to make the database work for us in a very positive manner so that, yeah, we can be uh, referred to uh, by those who know better or those who have better uh, accreditations uh, as far as the scientists are concerned once the day comes that, yes, there is such a creature out there.
1: Do you think we're getting closer? Do you think there's a point where you can say five, ten years from now, we can go to the scientist's... The wall is open, a crack in the door, something that they'll take you seriously? Physical
6: evidence. I think that's the key to it. I think it's it's going to be a matter of the right person with the right uh, equipment being in the right place at the right time. At the right time. How do you coordinate
1: or do you coordinate with organizations around the world for this research?
6: Uh, We have an open-door policy where we're willing to work with any organization that's out there, any researcher that's out there providing there's no uh, ego or providing there's no uh, hostility towards us. And we're about sharing, uh, and we share openly with anybody um, that wants to, to work with us. We've always been that way. But you have groups and you have individuals who are out there to make a buck, who are out there to uh, improve their ego, and they're not out there to solve the mystery. You know, They're out there for themselves. And I personally like to stay away from people like that. We'll give no names
1: here. They don't deserve the publicity. Right. I copy that. Yeah, I've got a few I could throw out there, but I won't. We've mentioned a few people along the way on this show because we have a reputation.
7: (laughs) (laughs) You and your reputation, huh?
1: Well, you know, what it is, there are some people who are deceptive, and when we find out that they are deceptive, we will cite the evidence and send them on the way. And so, you know, there are places where they write things about me and Chris, mostly me. And we don't, we don't want to mention what they say about us. That's because- well, I mean, we could talk about a Philadelphia investigator who uh, got caught
2: red-handed with a uh, fabricated background and some criminal activity in his personal history. And we offered him a chance to come and refute these uh, allegations or uh, revelations, rather, that were made about him. And uh, we never heard from uh, the old Butchmeister.
6: <laughs> Actually, what
1: happened, let me tell you what happened is I wrote him a letter. And I said, here's what I'm being told about you. What's your response? And he says, I'm getting out of the field. Except <laughs> that he then, a few months later, resurfaced and went to some kind of convention or something. So, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, I'm familiar with that story. I figured, <laughs> yeah, I figured we, <laughs> yeah. you would be. Yeah, so. but we're not going to go there.
6: No, no, that's a good idea.
1: No, we ought to go there. In the remaining hey, hey, minute, hey. guys, right. one more time, tell us about... The Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. You could go catch as catch as can. You can go back and forth any way you want.
7: Eric, if I could at this time, uh, if, if, if I may be able to just blow a little bit of smoke on the uh, blog spot that I have for people to understand the forensic sketches that I've been able to uh, accumulate over the years at cryptosite.blogspot.com. Uh, and you'll be able to see some of the uh, sketches that I refer to forensic wise and stories that accompany them from uh, southwestern Pennsylvania. Okay?
1: Say it again. Give us that address again.
7: Crypto, C-R-Y-P-T-O, site, S-I-G-H-T dot
1: com. That makes it simple. And to get to the
6: Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, you go to? PABigfootsociety.com. And could I throw one more plug out? We've got a big event coming up in just a few weeks. Please, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. On October 22nd and 23rd in a small community town called Youngwood, Pennsylvania, it's about 35, 40 miles south of, southeast of Pittsburgh, we are having the first of its kind UFO and Bigfoot conferences. It's a two-day event. It'll feature such speakers as uh, Stan Gordon, Stanton Friedman, Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum, David Dragozin will be there. I'll be there speaking. Uh, Other UFO researchers and Bigfoot researchers. The event is not a mixed event where we're talking about the relationships between UFOs and Bigfoots. It's two separate conferences, but held together on the same weekend. And to find out about that, you can go to the website, P A U F O Bigfoot Con, C O N dot com.
1: I'll tell you what, you send me some more information, we'll post it in our forums. By the way, we should tell our listeners. And don't forget Chris's site, OurStrangePlanet.com, OurStrangePlanet.com. He's got this fascinating set of DVDs on disclosure that you're going to want to buy. Buy it now. From Gene and Chris to Dave and Eric, thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us this week on The
6: PowerCast. My pleasure. My pleasure, too.
7: Likewise.
0: The PowerCast